0: Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Well, we have a very informative program for you today. But Rick, we need to get started with our first broadcast partner because we have late breaking news coming out of Kazakhstan.
1: That's right. We have Ken Timmerman with us. He's our regular broadcast partner, and he's the one who joins us to look at geopolitical affairs in the world. And the main thing that is taking place in the world this week, Ken, is Kazakhstan. Can you tell us what's going on there and why we should be concerned about it?
2: Well, Kazakhstan is in full insurrection mode. This is a real insurrection, folks, uh, with violent mobs on the streets. They have set fire to the presidential palace. They've set fire to the mayor's office. They've erected barricades in the streets. This is not January 6th. This is a real insurrection put down with troops, with live bullets. There have been dozens of protesters killed, and, and I think something like 18 police killed at last mm. count as well. They've, they have brought in Russian troops as well in support of the local police and armed forces. So, you know, when Democrats in this country talk about January 6th as an insurrection, uh, frankly, they have no sense of history whatsoever. They have no sense of even current events. Uh, it's a pathetic attempt to make uh, Republicans the party that should be outlawed. And that is what they're seeking to do. I'm very, um, very leery about these efforts by Chuck Schumer and some Democrats to permanently bar President Trump from running for office and to toss out Republican members of Congress as insurrectionists. But look at the streets of Kazakhstan. That is what an insurrection, a real insurrection looks like.
1: Well, I tend to agree with you as well, and I think they're politicizing this for sure. But as far as what's taking place in Kazakhstan, why is that insurrection taking place? What are the people on the ground protesting for?
2: Well, this began uh, initially on New Year's Day uh, when the uh, new government that replaced Nur Sultan uh, Nazarbayev Three years ago, Takarov, the new president, he's been there for three years, but on January 1st, he raised oil prices and gasoline prices locally by a pretty significant amount. And that's, that was the spark, if you wish. But it goes way beyond that. The discontent in Kazakhstan has been building. It was building during the Nazarbayev era. He was essentially an autocrat and ruled the country as an autocrat. There was the opposition was not allowed any ability, any any power inside the government. Civil society was uh, you know not allowed to stand against to oppose government policies. Uh, People were thrown in jail uh, for doing so. So that's where it began. But what you have really in Kazakhstan is a bursting out of civil society against a repressive government. Uh, And that is, you know, how insurrections begin.
1: Well, we'll certainly keep an eye on that situation there in Kazakhstan. It's developing, and we're not sure how it's going to turn out, but you know we'll be there, and you will be there for us to look at that. Let's move on and go to the EU. And as you know, France is taking over the EU presidency with Macron uh, announcing an ambitious agenda. Can you tell us what that is going to mean for the European Union?
2: Uh, Not an awful lot. This is fluff. And it's an electoral uh, gambit by Macron. He is up for re election, let's not forget, in April. Up until recently, uh, he has been way, way down in the polls, at times underwater by 50%. So he would have a 25% approval rating and a 75% disapproval rating. That is pretty tough to beat if you want to get reelected. So Macaulay is trying to use the EU and this rotating presidency. It's once every 13 years. So this is the first time France has been the president of the European Union for 13 years. He's trying to use that to sort of burnish his reputation and to make himself more popular. He wants to have the EU play a bigger role in people's everyday affairs. And I tell you, I'm not sure how popular that agenda is today with ordinary French people. Uh, already, they don't particularly like the idea of Brussels uh, giving them orders uh, rather than Paris. And by the way, there are lots of other European countries who have uh, a problem with that as well. Brussels has become increasingly unpopular all across the European Union. So I think what Macron is doing is basically trying to burnish his credentials for this uh, upcoming election in April, where he is now polling at around 25%. Now, I've got to say, so people can understand, 25% is good in the polls because you have a two-round election in France, and nobody else is at 25%. His closest competitors are uh, Marine Le Pen and Valérie Pécresse, both of them on the right of Macron, and they're polling around 16 to 17% each. So the real thing to watch in the first round of the election in, at the end of April is going to be who will oppose Macron one-on-one in the final round. And we don't know that yet. And uh, again, that's why he's using the EU. He wants to show himself as Mr. France.
1: Well, okay, Ken, we know uh, amongst all your other credentials, you have a home in France. So you have a particularly uh, strong insight there as to what is going on in French politics. So we appreciate that. Well, let's move on to the, to the Middle East. A story coming out of Iran, and they are saying that a nuclear agreement can be reached if the U.S. agrees to lift all sanctions.
2: Look, this is, this is a, uh, a, a wish list from the Iranian regime. They are trying to get the European Union in particular, but also Russia and China, to put restrictions on the United States, not just today, but in the future. They're talking about not just lifting U.S. sanctions against Iran, but putting in some kind of restrictive measure. And it's unclear what they're really thinking of here, but some kind of international restrictive measure that would prohibit the United States in the future from ever reimposing sanctions. I mean, that is such a non-starter. It's a joke. But that's what they're hoping for. And that is their current negotiating strategy, that they can get the rest of the world to gang up on the U.S. and they can get the U.S. to acquiesce to that. Now, that's that's the rub here, is that the Biden people could actually acquiesce to it and, and agree to placing some kind of international sanctions, but it won't last. International sanctions on the United States if a future government of the United States ever reimpose sanctions on Iran. That's what they want. President Trump showed in 2018 uh, that unless they get a treaty ratified by two-thirds of the Senate, which is not going to happen, uh, a new Iran deal is not going to be any more durable to a Republican president than the 2015 deal was when Trump took office and then pulled the United States out in 2018.
1: Well, our last two stories have involved France and Iran. And this story that I uh, wanted you to comment on involves both of them. And France Friday said it was regrettable that Iran had a rocket launch right in the middle of these talks that uh, that are taking place right now looking to curtail Iran's nuclear ambitions.
2: So, you know, if even the French are going to be criticizing <laughs> uh, the Iranian government for that missile launch. Uh, then you can see where those nuclear negotiations are probably headed, which is nowhere. So what what the French said, and by the way, they were not alone. The EU said this as well. Uh, they said that the this space launch, the so-called satellite launch over the New Year's holiday, was in violation of UN Security Council uh, resolutions that prohibit Iran from testing ballistic long-range ballistic missiles. And Iran said, no, 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 it's just a space launcher. But everybody everybody sees through that, which is kind of interesting. And I think it's a, it's a real plus now that virtually the entire world understands that when Iran claims to be launching satellites or a space launch rocket, what they're really doing is testing an ICBM. And we saw proof of this, actual physical proof. It's quite interesting. One of my Iranian contacts posted a photograph uh, from uh, sistan Balochistan, which is the uh, eastern province uh, of Iran bordering Pakistan, showing the the uh, reentry vehicle fairing, uh, this kind of capsule, the protective heat shield capsule, on the top part of the rocket, it it separates off in the when as the rocket leaves the atmosphere and then falls back to Earth. So it fell back to Earth and you could see it. It was a pretty sophisticated um, fairing. It had this kind of steel reinforced hatching on the inside. And it's the kind of thing that Iran would need to test for a warhead. They would need to have this kind of fairing on a payload that included a nuclear warhead uh, and it would then fall off as the uh, as the rocket goes up into the atmosphere before reaching orb- orbit to then attack the United States. Uh, so this was clearly an ICBM type of technology that they were testing, and uh, it fell back to Earth, and we saw the evidence of it.
1: Well, that leads into my next story, Ken, and this is the final. Thing I'd like to get your thoughts about. There was a statement by the five powers—that's the United States, Russia, China, England, and France—against nuclear weapons. Is that an effective statement? What What does this mean?
2: Well, it's 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 an interesting statement, but uh, we'll have to see how far it goes because uh, Russia, let's not forget, since the demise of the Soviet Union, specifically under Putin, Russia does not have a no first use policy when it comes to nuclear weapons. Now, that sounds kind of convoluted. What does it mean? It means the United States and Britain have stated repeatedly, stated it publicly, it's part of our defense doctrine, our strategic doctrine, that we will not be the first to use nuclear weapons, that our weapons are aimed at a devastating, uh, making an adversary pay a devastating price if they attack us with nuclear weapons. The Russians don't say that. The Russians say, oh, yeah, we can conceive of using nuclear weapons. In fact, we can conceive of using tactical nuclear weapons on the battlefield, perhaps in Ukraine. So we have very different defense uh, strategies. Uh, we have different defense doctrines about nuclear weapons. So to hear them join the Chinese and, and issue this statement about uh, nuclear weapons, that they don't favor the use of nuclear weapons, is interesting. But I'd like to see it actually become part of Russian defense Doctrine. So far, it's not.
1: Well, Ken, thank you so much. You bring such great insight into these stories, and we continue to appreciate what you do. And we look forward to talking to you again and allowing you to keep us informed as uh, these situations develop. Thanks so much, Rick. It's always my pleasure. God bless. We're going to take a look at these
0: stories much later when we take a look at the book. But right now, we've got to take a break. And when we come back, David Dolan with his Middle East News Update right here on Prophecy Today Weekend.
3: I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Russian-backed security forces arrived in Kazakhstan Thursday to quell massive riots. Protesters burned government buildings and even stormed the busiest airport in the Central Asian country. The unrest began after a sharp hike in fuel prices. Early reports say dozens of people have been killed. Eric Mock with the Slavic Gospel Association says SGA supports churches all across Kazakhstan, so pray the love of these believers would point many to Jesus in a time of crisis. And recent violence in the Democratic Republic of Congo got so bad, Mission Aviation Fellowship had to move bases. MAF was stationed in Niankunde, but recently the government militia came in to control the local village. MAF's John Cad says violence broke out. MAF staff and families crouched in their homes for several days hearing mortars and bullets flying nearby. Now, MAF is operating out of Bunia. Pray for peace in MAF's ongoing gospel ministry in Congo. You're listening to Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer.
1: and we're back here on prophecy today with our regularly scheduled feature we like to call the middle east news update and we have dave dolan with us as usual dave thank you for joining hope you're enjoying the new year of 2022
5: i'm glad to be with you rick and so far so good
1: well, lots to get at, but I wanted to get your opinion on a story, and we're going to talk with uh, Winky Madad a little bit later on in the program. But first of all, could you tell us a little bit about this story about a minister in the current government calling the "quote unquote" settlers subhuman?
5: Yes, Rick, this is the main story in the Israeli media the end of this week because of who it is. Yair Golan. Uh, I've met him. He was the Northern Command head uh, up along the Lebanon border uh, when I was up there. He was deputy commander of the forces in Judea and Samaria, and he was deputy chief of staff. Uh, now he's the deputy economy minister uh, and a member of the left-wing merits party. Well, he gave an interview on Thursday morning, and uh, yes, he said that uh, the settlers are, quote, subhuman, These are despicable people in the most rotten part of the Jewish nation. We must not Mm. provide them with any backing, and we must forcefully remove them from this place and bring back law and order to the area. Now, he was talking about one place in particular, that's Homesh. We've talked about that, the settlement north of Jerusalem that was evacuated, where Orthodox Jews are uh, reconstituting a yeshiva, a seminary up there, and uh, he was talking about them in particular, but he didn't just mention them. He said settlers in general. Uh, well, the prime minister condemned him roundly. Of course, Prime Minister Bennett is the head of a party that has strong support in Judean and Sam- Samaria from these, quote, uh, subhuman people. So he roundly condemned him. But he probably won't fire him as the Likud is demanding. And uh, former Prime Minister Netanyahu signed a letter uh, calling on Bennett to fire him immediately. Bennett probably won't do that because, of course, he needs the Merits Party in his coalition. And they support what he's saying even more. So it's created quite a firestorm. And uh, we'll have to see where that goes.
1: Well, Dave, that's a very concerning story that that would be how they would refer to the settlers there in Judea and Samaria. I have a couple other stories that I'd like to get your opinions on, Dave. And the first one is that Palestinian officials are saying that there's going to be fallout if the U.S. does not open up the consulate there in Jerusalem.
5: Well, yes, Rick, this comes after increasing reports that the Biden administration has decided to shelve those plans for now to reopen a consulate in Jerusalem aimed at the Palestinians, basically giving them a separate embassy, as it were. Well, this is after the Israeli government has made uh, very clear that they will oppose Opening uh, that consulate, and the U.S. law states that uh, a host government has to agree to uh, the opening or closing of consulates on its soil. Of course, that just makes sense that a country has a say in what uh, you know happens uh, from foreign powers in its own land. So it looks like the Biden administration realizes that this just isn't going to work and is shelving it. And as you say, the PA in response said this week that they would not carry out reforms that they earlier told Biden they would carry out, including shelving the so-called pay-for-slay program where even terrorists that uh, kill Israelis or kill other people are paid by the PA money that comes from the EU, from the USA, and from other foreign donors from Arab countries as well, is that they would stop uh, making these payments. Well, it looks like the whole thing is just broken down. The Palestinians are increasingly unhappy, we're told, with Joe Biden's approach to the Middle East. And basically that approach is a decreasing one as attention is turning to China, Russia, uh, Iran, and other issues. So uh, this is uh, not a good sign of of any sort of peace Process resuming between Israel and the Palestinians as the Biden administration was
1: apparently hoping might be uh, occurring. And you mentioned the U.S. involvement in the peace process there between the Israelis and the Palestinians. But uh, I read an interesting article in the Jerusalem Post and I shared it with you. And it talks about how, with issues taking place in China, the Russia Ukraine crisis, and the Iran agreement really the focus is off of the peace process there in Israel isn't it
5: well 20 years ago a little over we had of course the 911 attack and uh the main focus of american foreign policy naturally after that became the middle east islamic countries militant groups afghanistan Pakistan, Iran, and Saudi Arabia and Israel and all of this, not so much the peace process as it was already at that point falling apart after Yasser Arafat basically tore up the Oslo Accords in the year 2000 and went back to war, the second Palestinian uprising. So there wasn't any expectations of peace at that time, but the focus of uh, the various administrations was the Middle East. Now as that article in the post pointed out the united states has a growing threat from china massively growing threat from china growing Chinese activity all over the world. It has Russian troops on the border with Ukraine and a possible war there. It has internal troubles, the border crisis, the economic crisis, one could go on and on. So the focus of the administration is definitely not the Middle East anymore. That's been playing for a couple of years now. And uh, then pulling back, as we just talked about, from the Palestinian demand for a reopened consulate in Jerusalem is another sign that the uh, Biden administration is just saying, look, we wash our hands right now of this problem. We've got other issues that are much larger and much more pressing to our national security that we're going to focus on at this time. But of course, they are still engaged in the talks indirectly with Iran. And that's part of the whole uh, conflict, obviously, but that's about the only active area of U.S. involvement in the region right at the moment.
1: Another quick comment on a issue there in the Middle East. Uh, Yemen's Houthis claim that they have targeted a UA ship as a warning to Israel. Certainly they are unhappy with the United Arab Emirates' treaty with Israel, and this is their way of showing displeasure and essentially threatening them.
5: Well, and the Houthis, we have to remember, are basically a puppet force of Iran— just as uh, Hezbollah is in Lebanon and as Islamic Jihad is in uh, the Gaza Strip. So they do whatever Iran wants. And this was the first seizure of a ship, a UAE ship, uh, by the Houthis uh, Yemenite uh, group. They want to take over all of Yemen. And, Rick, we have to point out, in case people don't have a, a map in front of them, This is a very strategic spot where Yemen is because it controls the entrance to the Red Sea. That ends up with the Suez Canal, a good portion of the world's commerce travels through there. Israeli ships travel through there. And a a statement made after this seizure earlier in the week, uh, a Houthi official said that we will target Israeli ships in the future as well. Well this is really, Rick, just a continuation of the war at sea that's been going on since 2019. between. Iran and Israel, Israel taking out several Iranian ships that were delivering oil to Syria. Uh, They are not supposed to be doing that, according to UN sanctions. And then the Iranians doing all sorts of things, bombing some ships in the uh, Persian Gulf, and seizing some other ships, and attacking a U.S. tanker, and we could go on and on. So the war at sea is uh, escalating, but the Israelis are very concerned by this Houthi seizure of the UAE ship. Of course, the UAE officials are very concerned as well. And uh, they did say it's because the UAE is friendly with Israel that we did this. So not a good sign, again, for the region. And again, another sign that we may see the big war, the full war between Iran and Israel uh, in the coming weeks and months.
1: Well, Dave, my final question, and it's a little bit more positive and note, but I saw another story this week, and it seems very exciting. Torches waved on hilltops throughout Israel are marking the new month. Can you tell us the significance of this symbolic event?
5: Well, uh Rick, it was done throughout history, basically, uh, in ancient times, before there were uh, cell phones and the uh, Internet. Uh, the Jews throughout the uh, Middle East would mark the start of the new month by uh, lanterns or t- uh, torches being carried up to high mountains outside of Jerusalem, and then they were spotted by uh, other Jews in uh, where today's Jordan is and further down towards Egypt. And there would be a continuing series of torch lightings to let the Jewish community throughout the Middle East know that the new month had begun. And of course, that's a holy day uh, for religious Jews uh, in a sense. They mark special prayers on the first of the month and that sort of thing. So the fact that it's being instituted again is quite a, quite a interesting uh, development. Another sign that, uh, you know, movements uh, continue to Uh, rebuild the temple and uh, rebuild the Jewish faith in the whole region and the whole world, but especially in the Holy Land and in Jerusalem.
1: You believe as well as I do, Dave, that this is the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel was fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And as we look at events like this taking place and people hearkening back to their Jewish roots, it is very exciting.
5: It is it's another sign that the desire to get back to where they were in ancient times is there. The Jewish people as a whole are coming back to the land and Israel's reestablished and and God is definitely behind that.
1: Well Dave as always we thank you so much for keeping our listeners informed and we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you Rick God bless. We're going to take a break right here on Prophecy Today and when we come back we're going to talk to Winky Madan. Stay tuned to Prophecy Today Radio.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr., along with my brother Rick. We are examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Well, this next half hour, we'll be talking about China. Not China in the political sense, but uh, today we'll be talking to a missionary to China. We're going to be talking about the church and the growth of the church in China. Plus, Dr. Heath Marion will come to talk to us about the growth of the church in the United States. But first, we have Winky Madad
1: talking to us about the latest issue that's going on in Israel. And we do have Winky on the line with us. Winky, thank you for joining us on such short notice. Uh, we got a story, and we certainly wanted to get your opinion on it we saw a very disturbing story and wanted to get your take on it. As your representative of the settlers uh, there in Israel, we heard a story of a minister in the government who called the settlers subhuman. What could you tell us about that?
6: Well, a it's true. The deputy minister is Yair Golan, who belongs to the merits far left of center party. Uh, Um. He's deputy minister of something or other, but it's not very important. Uh, He was formerly deputy commander-in-chief of the IDF and lost the opportunity to become commander of the IDF when at a um, ceremony. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, it was uh, on the eve of Holocaust Day, But I might be mistaken. But that really doesn't make a difference. The content was that he said that they I identify processes that are happening here in Israel that remind me of what happened in another country in the 1930s. Hmm. Now that's a uh, uh, cue among left wingers who don't want to mention Germany. They either say a country in Europe or a country in Central Europe. Uh, So he's already. Uh, on this um, path of trying to drum into public consciousness Israel or Zionism as akin to Nazism or Nazi ideology or Germanic nationalism. And the oddity is, Rick, his father was born in Germany and had to flee in 1936. Uh, But He tried to get around it by saying, I meant only those people who were engaged in violent acts after one of the yeshiva students had been killed by Arabs. Of course, he left out the fact that the Arabs from the village were throwing rocks at people who were gathering at this place, Chomesh, during the week of the morning. So his story really doesn't hold up water factually. But what is astonishing, as as I hear in your voice in the question, was how can a fellow Jew use a term of uber, uh, untermenschen, which means subhumans, which everybody, I think any, I think there are people who only watch Hollywood films who know what that term means. It means subhumans, used by the Nazis to describe Jews or Slavs or, or other people, and the. Uh, public discourse, especially from the left, has always been ignored because they were thought to be the moral people, the people championing the rights of the downtrodden, and therefore they could get away with a lot of things that so-called right-wingers couldn't get away with. Well, I can tell you as I'm speaking with you uh, that the uh, the Fuhrer here in Israel is, is quite uh, uh, all over the place, Twitter, Facebook on the television, Naftali Bennett uh, berated him, Uh, the Likud is calling for his resignation or is being kicked off as a a deputy minister, Uh, and uh, we're in the midst of it here.
1: Well, what does this mean and and I guess I'm encouraged by the fact that this has uh, received wide range condemnation. but what does this mean and just just quickly if you could, how are the settlers viewed on a national level uh, if something like this was can be said how 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 does the body politic there in Israel view the settlers?
6: Well once again, we the the body politic of Israel majority is what we call either nationalist right wing or traditional. Unfortunately, and when it comes to voting, uh, sometimes they lose their head. And to and uh, for example, the, the party that Bennett heads, Yamina, uh, got uh, six or seven seats in the Knesset, and now he's run away with them and, and formed a government with with the left wing and the Arabs. Uh, but uh, the image of those who who reside and I call resettling Judea and Samaria, is very high. And I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of, shall I call it, flack about this matter, and will only strengthen the position, especially after another day or so comes around. And the real facts about what happened in that village of Borka and who started the violence uh, will become much
1: more uh, apparent. Well, Winky, thank you for um, being called into service on your uh, time off here. We weren't going to call you this week, but it's such an important story. And you, as, like I said, what the world would call a settler, we call a resident of Israel and Judea and Samaria. We thank you for taking your time to weigh in on this subject.
6: Rick, thanks very much for calling on me. And uh, I'm here for you, and I hope our listeners are encouraged about the information and the facts and the perspectives that you and I provide for them.
0: Winky Madad reporting to us from Israel. Well, here on Prophecy Today weekend, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And we keep an eye on what's happening around the world. That's called geopolitics. We're watching politically what's happening, and that's what Ken and Dave Dolan, uh, Winky Madad, Colonel Bob McGinnis, that's what these gentlemen do as they are uh, focusing on certain aspects of the world. Uh, We focus on the European Union. We focus on... Uh, What Russia's doing, what China's doing, what Iran, Israel, the Middle East, uh, even what we do here in the United States. Uh, One of the things that was brought to my attention, and I I can only attribute it to the Lord working this out, is I got a call from a gentleman, and uh, for purposes of this interview, his name is Chris, that happens to be his first name, but that's all I can give you because Today, we're going to be talking about China. Now, I know that Ken Timmerman focuses on China, the political aspect of what China is doing and China's beef with the United States and China's beef really with the world and wanting to become the hegemonic leader of the world. Uh, Colonel Bob McGinnis has given us a lot of insight because he is a China watcher. Uh, My father, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, he was a China watcher. He loved to, and China plays a very important part in the future in Bible prophecy. We realize that it's one of the kings out of the east in Revelation chapter 16 that makes its way towards Israel. But today, I want to focus on another part of China. And Chris, our guest today, is going to come in and talk to us because Chris happened to be a missionary in China before COVID hit. Now, Chris, welcome to the program today. Well, thank you very much, Brother Jimmy. Hey, it's good to have you here with us. We all look at the political aspect of China, but tell us about the church or the believers in China.
7: Well, I can really only speak of the little niche that wherein I worked, but I'm I'm happy to, to share uh, about what I experienced for about 16 years. We were there for 16 years. And we worked, my wife and I, and we took our five children there, Nice. Um, we worked with the English speaking middle-class Chinese. We were working with those who were looking West, who, uh, liked Westerners, especially Americans. And, uh, they wanted to meet folks like us, my, myself and my wife because they had been, you know, learning English all their lives just mm-hmm. about. And, um, but they didn't ever get a chance to practice with a real Westerner. And so it was really easy to to meet them, the middle class folks who uh, were pretty well educated, and so they wanted to meet people like myself, and practice their English, and then find out what makes what makes us tick. Why were we there when everyone around them was trying to leave and go to the West? <laughs> Why right? did we come? And most of them thought maybe it's because I, I was a failure over here over here in America, and uh, <laughs> or I was running from the law. Or uh, I was I was CIA one of those three right. Um, but, <laughs> but at any rate, um, we we worked with those those kind of folk, and I tell you, uh, you know, people are people. Uh, there are people who want answers to life, and you know, why are we here? Where did we come from? Where are we going? And we worked with them, and we what made us tick was the Lord Jesus Christ, Amen, Amen. And we shared Him wherever we could, whenever we could, and I'm telling you when you stand on the promises of God, which are that He wants everybody to be saved, that's First Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. God wants everyone to be saved and to come under the knowledge of the truth. And so we just shared, and I tell you, God worked and moved and, and prepared things. Lots of people got saved, and and we baptized them, we taught them to observe all things whatsoever the Lord Jesus commanded, and then we prayed, prayed, prayed for God to raise up a uh, a faithful man who would be able to teach others also, like Second Timothy two two says, and then we just trusted God and He 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 worked in the Chinese hearts to open up and begin house churches, and it was beautiful.
0: Wow, wow! So uh, a missionary in China for sixteen years, you went there, you took your family there, you made that decision to go, and it, yeah. So as we look at and you know certainly. The news always portrays the, you know, the president of China, President Xi, uh, and uh, trying to overthrow America and and become the leader of the world. But really, the Chinese people are reaching out, and they are just like us. They want to know. Uh, they're interested in finding out about, you know, salvation and eternal life and, and things about God, correct?
7: Amen. They are. But I tell you, they, they carry a heavy uh, ball and chain on their leg because— mm. Of their culture, yeah, their culture is just pushes evolution it pu- pushes the big bang theory, and it 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 pushes the material versus anything spiritual and I'm telling you it it was the biggest obstacle in China was to help people p- to believe that god existed if if they could come to believe that God exists, almost every one of them got saved because it wasn't hard for them to believe that God had a son who loved them. But the, the 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 challenge was to help them get over the cultural impediments of, of of materialism, and uh, evolution and Darwinism. I mean Darwinism, and, and the Big Bang, especially among the, the educated.
0: Sure, they had to know that there was a God that created all of this, and that's uh, that's very important. As you are, uh, and again, now quickly tell me about how you came to know the Lord, and then how you made that decision to go to China as a, as a missionary.
7: Well, you know, I I, I got saved later. I was 30 years old, and after after 30 years of feeling like I was underwater, submerged underwater, I picked up the Bible for the first time in my life at the age of 30, and I read about the Lord Jesus. Mm. And I found what I'd been looking for for 30 years. I was like a man underwater, and I popped out of the water— and I got my lungs full of oxygen that day when I met the Lord Jesus amen, and I tell you nobody, nobody, nothing could convince me otherwise. I mean you get oxygen, you know you get oxygen amen. you've got oxygen <laughs> and and then and then my ten years later, God called me to go to China, and he made it that as clear as when he saved me and uh The only question I had was my dear wife. Who had a great career, uh, making lots of money. She was a senior manager at a major major corporation lockheed martin and and, and and for her to go to follow the Lord and me, take our five kids and go to China, she had to give all that up and Brother Jimmy, she did not even flinch when I revealed to her what God had done, my heart my mind and she left with me. And the and Chinese loved her more than me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's the great commission. We have all been given that commission. That's the great commission that, that the Lord gave interestingly enough, not to the big crowds, the big crowds mm. that follow Christ up on the, the shores of the sea of Galilee, but he gave that great commission to his 12 disciples. And therefore that commission is carried over to us today and our calling is to be a witness. God could have arranged the stars in the heaven to spell out, you must be born again. But what he did is he yeah. chose us to carry forth that message. And you're a testimony to that. And I wanted people to hear that. Now, uh, what can we pray for you, Chris, and and as you are continuing this ministry of teaching, although you're not allowed to travel there right now and you're not there, you're here in the States, but you're still teaching. But what can we pray for your ministry as you are teaching Ah, uh, the Chinese about the Lord Savior Jesus Christ.
7: Yeah, there's something very, very specific uh, to pray for. Uh, just like one or two weeks ago, the Chinese I've been working with just they informed me that the government had issued a bulletin saying that they're going to cut cut um, cut back on, or they're going to control, crack down. That's the word I'm looking for. They're going to crack down on internet. Uh, Bible groups, Bible studies mm. uh, after the Olympics, and they didn't say that, but that's why that's what they're waiting for is for the Olympics to be over, and mm-hmm. then they're going to crack down on March 1st. They gave a date of March 1st that you have to be registered, you got to do this, you got to do that, and if you don't, you're going to be in big trouble, and so um, cause I that's going to affect what I'm doing right now, because we use Zoom to uh, teach Bible prophecy, and we got a, a nice little group going, and and they need this because no, the Chinese pastors are doing a good job. The ones I've worked with, I guess I mentioned my little niche, they're doing a good job with the the basic doctrines, mm-hmm. salvation, um, sanctification, those kinds of things. But they're weak on eschatology and prophecy, especially because they don't. The government limits their ability to 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 have News like mm, we have, right? To see what's going on with the uh, with uh, you know the Econ- world economic forum and the Build Back Better and the, uh, uh, the global reset and what's going on at the Vatican and all these other things. They don't get that. They, they they that's just doesn't happen, and so they're they're operating in the dark, you know. And so even though our group is really small, I have to trust that God's got other groups going like ours and getting prophecy to these people, and and they really. There's a number of them that really, really like it, and and, they, they, and the pastors. I've talked to my friends, friends who are pastors, and they don't, they don't know anybody who's teaching eschatology and prophecy among the Chinese pastors.
0: Mm. Well, one-third of God's Word is about future events, and if it was that important to God to include it in the way that He communicates with us, how much more important should it be to us? And Chris, I'm so uh, excited about what you're doing. You're discipling. Uh, those men there, and if by chance the uh, control by the Chinese government cuts down and stops mm. the internet and, uh, and being able to reach in today we have the luxury of being able to sit in our homes and and communicate around the world and preach the uh, and teach them where seminaries are probably not allowed, uh, a lot of these pastors are still learning, but they are doing. And that's the important thing, and we mm-hmm. want to continue to pray for that. And we want to pray for you. Chris, why don't you just lead us in a quick prayer uh, about this and, uh, and, and uh, for our folks today that are listening about this problem that's coming up in the future.
7: All righty, all righty. Well, dear Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to lift up this need for people with Internet ministries, with mainland Chinese that are being threatened right now by the Chinese government. They, they don't want them to hear over over the Internet, and, and it's going to d- directly harm the, the cause. And so, God, I pray that you would not let them crack down on our group and, and, mm. and get in there and subvert the ways that we're doing it right now and that our, our folk can continue to hear and that they would take the information and, and, and ingest it and digest it and then take it to others who, have, uh, uh, who are hungry and thirsting after righteousness. So, God, please bless and protect in Jesus' wonderful, powerful, and beautiful name.
0: Amen. 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 We do serve a sovereign God, a God that is more powerful than any government, and we are called to do this. Chris, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Thank you for praying. And uh, our group, uh, our folks that listen to this program, just write Chris and China. You know, it's yeah. easy. See, see, Chris in China. Yep. And uh, put that on your prayer list and pray, and God will know. Uh, and uh, we just trust that uh, we his word will continue to go forth. Chris, thank you so much for joining with us today. And we look forward to talking to you again to find out how this is going. Hey,
7: that's a great idea. Thank you. Thank you very, very
0: much. Folks, we need to remember to pray for Chris and the church in China and this legislation that's coming up uh, in March about uh, control of the Internet and missionaries here in the United States teaching those in China. Well, another thought that came across my desk and a story that I posted on our website uh, and I've I wanted to reach out to uh, an expert on this, and I've done just that. Now joining with us today is Doctor Heath Marion. He's a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, former pastor, uh, has had uh, ministry on uh, campuses, college campus. He's dealt with young people today. He's a consultant to churches and businesses. Heath, great to have you with us today.
8: Hey, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure.
0: Well, Heath, I sent you this article, and the title of the article, Millennials Lead Shift Away from Organized Religion as Pandemic Test Americans' Faith. Now, uh, Pew Research did a uh, survey, and they found that 29% of U.S. adults said that they had no religious affiliation. That's an increase of almost six percentage points from 2016 and millennials are leading the shift away from organized religion, according to this survey. And your dealings and your working within the church and on college campuses, do you find this to be true?
8: Absolutely. There's another stat that I have found that uh, it said that only 4% of teenagers claim Jesus as their personal Savior right now, which blows my mind. Mm. But here's what we've got even on the college campuses and these millennials as they come out of college is their faith has been so shaken. Truth has been eroded. We're living in a post postmodern world where truth is relevant. So my truth is my truth for me. Your truth is your truth mm-hmm. for you. But by the very definition of truth, truth means that one side is right, one side is wrong, and no longer can we claim it. We're even seeing that in politics right now. It's everybody you, – you demonize somebody on the other side who has a different opinion of you. And here's what we have right now. With truth being eroded – Then teenagers, millennials, they're all going, well, what's the point of even being religious and having a religious affiliation and being tied to the church? One thing I do want to make mention of in that article, it doesn't say that they're not spiritual. Mm. I find a huge shift that the millennials, they're very spiritual. They're wanting to talk about spiritual things, and they're going to tie in this idea of being spiritual, And I mean, if you go back even 20 years ago, we had Oprah Winfrey talking about it, right? If you remember that, Mm -hmm. she talked a lot about being spiritual. But now you have this huge movement where people are using personal coaches now. People are getting involved with a wide variety of needing help on themselves, and they're still talking spiritual talk, but it's now void of the Bible, but they might be using the same words. Isn't that interesting?
0: That's very interesting. And... I think it's indicative of the end times because although they're walking away from the church and there's a shift from that, but like you said, they are looking for something spiritually, which really sets up for uh, when you create that vacuum that sets up for anything spiritual. And sometimes what we think is spiritual would be from God. Sometimes some of the spiritual that they're looking for can be from other religious sources, and uh, which uh, Satan is a master of deception, and he could certainly step in. and and lead this next generation away you know with this pandemic and covid and people afraid to go to churches we're seeing really people forsaking the gathering together with like-minded people in churches what's the importance uh, of that and, and why should we be together with fellow believers (laughs)
8: <laughs> now, you're asking a pastor, so I mean, <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm going to definitely say it's important. But here's 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 some of the Bible. The Bible, Ecclesiastes says two are better than one, right? Mm, mm-hmm. So you get more accomplished by having that other person. Three-pulled cord is not easily broken. Iron sharpens iron. Mm. So here's here's what happens. God is a communal God. The Trinity, before he even created humanity... He actually had a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He was in, in in relationship. So when he created man, he created Adam and Eve, and in the cool of the evening, God walked with Adam and Eve and talked with them. God desires relationship, and he made people to be in relationship. When he had made all of creation, it says, and God said it was good. God said it was good. The first time God said it's not good was when man was alone, and there wasn't somebody in relationship with him. Isn't that interesting?
0: That is very interesting.
8: All the way back from the time we were created, God created us to be in relationship. So our faith grows by the hearing of the Word, but it also grows by the sharpening. When I have a friend who steps into my life like you, and they will say, hey, he— How are you living this out? And you can actually call me out or show me my blind spots. We all have blind spots. And that's the biggest issue is that if you have a blind spot, by definition, you don't even know what it is. You need an outside source to help talk to you about it. And so God is a relational God, and he calls us to get into relationship with others so that our faith is sharpened, our faith is challenged, and we grow. And then if you notice, all other religions, isolation is deemed even more spiritual. You go into a (laughs) monastery, the, the, you know, yoga, you go into meditation and you try to go into the power within. Well, the real power within is the Holy Spirit inside you where you're interacting with. And what we're called to do is be in relationship with the Holy Spirit, Jesus, God. And then now as we interact with the word, it's going to be played out. My faith has to have the works where I'm interacting with people. You see, when I can't have patience, until I'm putting into a situation where I need patience. Mm. And it's, God is going to put us into a relationship where people are going to challenge us and cause us to have to either not get angry, right, to actually show love, to show peace. It's easy to show love to people who love us, but why would God want us to be in the world? He wants us to be in relationships so that it causes us to really live out and have the fruit of the Spirit. So it's not forsaking each other, even in Acts 2, the early church— what did they do in Acts 2? It was daily. They were giving themselves to the teaching and listening to the training in the houses, and they were also having the Lord's Supper, the communion. Communion was done in community with other believers. Mm. So every part of the religious our, – our Christian faith is going to be put into this conversation where we are interacting with each other in a relationship. So I can't see us getting out of the church. I think the church can be reshaped. I think it could be totally look different but the message doesn't
0: change. Wow, wow. Well, Dr. Heath-Marion, we're going to have to have you back to talk more about this and other subjects that are confronting the body of Christ today, and uh, I sure do thank you. And in the times in which we're living, we really do need to bond together uh, as a group. Uh, iron sharpens iron. Um, we can grow stronger together, and let's not let fear guide us. Let's let the love of the Holy Spirit, the love of God come into us, and uh, we can continue continue to gather together to grow stronger during these times. Dr. Heath Marion, thank you so much, and uh, we'll join with you again in the future.
8: Thank you, and bless you, my friends. Have a great day.
0: Well, we have to take a break, and when we come back, the Legacy Series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, and this week we'll continue in the book of Daniel, and we'll be talking about that fifth personality in Daniel chapter 11. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we are examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And it's something that was started over 21 years ago with our father, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. And we're continuing on that ministry and really helping the body of Christ to understand what is taking place, why the world is acting as it is. Today, Rick, uh, we've had a great program, and we do hope that people stick with us till the very end. Over the past couple of weeks we've talked about our website Rick and you know we it is a newer website and people are now finding us and and uh, listening to our podcast um, there's so many things that are available on our website aren't there
1: There sure is and just so you know it is a new website if you have bookmarked the old website go to the new website go to www.prophecytoday.com there you can find uh, the top 10 news stories. We've got most of our audio programs, uh, our bookstore, uh, ways to donate. Uh, so many good things. And and one of the things, we're getting ready to listen to the Legacy series. I know that uh, the late Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, our father... Put together devotionals. These devotionals go through the scriptures. They start from Genesis, go all the way through Revelation. I've been journaling through the Word this year. Over 400 daily devotionals that you can find at our website. Just follow the link for daily devotionals. But it's it's really an excellent uh, chance. It's an excellent opportunity to study Scripture and look at prophecy, which is mm-hmm. one third of the Bible. And we've always talked about that. And certainly, it's a it's a way to hear. Uh, As we said, as we're about to listen to the late Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, we get to hear his teaching in devotionals, and now we get to hear his teaching in person or in in recorded audio on our program.
0: That's right, Rick. Last week, we looked at the first 35 verses of Daniel chapter 11. There are four historic personalities that Daniel wrote about, actually pre-writing history, of men who would come to power and they did come on the world scene in past history. Today we're going to study Daniel chapter 11 verses 36 to 45 with the pre-written history of the Antichrist, the alignment of nations that would attack Israel, and the arrangements for a temple in Jerusalem. Get your Bible ready and let's take a look at Daniel chapter 11 verse 36.
9: But now we come to verse 36. Let me show you something in verse 36. And the king shall do according to his will. Now that's a title for this king, the willful king. Notice, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods. That's blasphemy. He's speaking against the most high god, the ancient of days. Who is that? That's a man found over in chapter 7, verse 8, known as the little Horn. In chapter 9, verse 26, he's the prince that shall come. In chapter 11, verse 36, the willful king. In Matthew 24, Jesus calls him a false messiah. The apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2 refers to him as the wicked one, the son of perdition, the man of sin. The Bible tells us in Revelation 13, he's the beast out of the sea. He has 27 names. You know him best by the name in 1 John chapter 2. The anti. Christ. Later on, it says in chapter 11, he will be worshiping the God of forces, a military genius. I believe the Antichrist is alive and well on planet Earth. If we had time, we would not take it, if we had time, we'd go back to Daniel chapter 7, where it talks about a little horn coming up. And that little horn comes out of ten horns. Those ten horns represent, according to the text, the revived Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was in place when Jesus was here. That Roman Empire will be revived because it has to reach out to all the world. God has a plan for it. Out of that revived Roman Empire, ten horns, comes the little horn, Antichrist. Hillary Clinton, the most historic event in her life, happened when the European Union came to power. You know the European Union? Listen. The European Union, with their 44 states, oh, 27 member states now, 17 Mediterranean states, which President Sarkozy brought into existence, is the exact borders of the old Roman Empire. They're coming to power. And out of that group, they've already been jailed. They have a constitution. They call it a treaty, the Lisbon Treaty. Out of that, they're going to break up into regions. You can go to the treaty and read it. They'll have ten regions which conforms to prophecy. And one will come out. There's a personality on the world scene today that will do everything the Antichrist will do. Have a relationship with Rome, bring resolution to world conflict through religion, and establish peace in the Middle East. Go to verse 40. And at the time of the end, Let me define that. In the scriptures, when you read the phrase, and here in Daniel, three times it says at the time of the end. Twice in chapter 11, once in chapter 12. At the time of the end is describing the seven-year period of time. All right? So at the time of the end, the Antichrist appears. Notice what else happened. Verse 40. And at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him. Now wait a minute, who are those personalities? There are three of them, him, king of the north, king of the south. I told you who the king of the north was, that's Syria. King of the south, Egypt. Wow. Him? Well, him as a pronoun must modify a noun. Who is the subject at the beginning? Antichrist. You have 14 pronouns in this passage. He, his, and him, all referring to Antichrist. When will the Antichrist be under attack from Syria and Egypt? What does the Antichrist do at the beginning of the tribulation period? Brains peace to the Middle East, Daniel 9 27. And he, the Antichrist, shall confirm, strengthen, make stronger a peace treaty, a covenant with many for one week, seven year period of time. So the Antichrist will bring peace. He says to the Jewish state, I will protect you. All of your enemies cannot attack. I am the Messiah. That's what he says. And so they attack Israel from the north, Syria. Is that possible? Bashar Assad said, We will take back the Golan Heights. We'll do it politically or militarily. That's the north. The south? Egypt? Do you understand the Muslim Brotherhood, the major force in Egypt today, the Muslim Brotherhood is the granddaddy for Yasser Arafat. He came through them. And they have already said they will abrogate. In other words, do away with the Camp David Accords, the peace treaty between Israel and Egypt. They're using high tech now. They texted 600,000. Of their followers in Egypt last week. Prepare for war with Israel. 2,500 years ago. Daniel was right on. With four world leaders. Fulfilled prophecy sets the stage. For unfulfilled prophecy to be fulfilled. The fifth leader, the Antichrist. He comes to power. He's about to show himself here in this earth. He comes to power. These nations move. Look what happens. He comes rushing in. Verse 41. He shall enter the glorious land. That's the land of Israel. And many countries shall be overthrown. He'll go to Syria, wipe them out. He comes down through Moab, Ammon, and Edom. That's Modern-day Jordan. He doesn't touch modern-day Jordan. That's where Petra is, where he's going to protect the Jewish people for this period of three and a half years, the last three and a half years. Notice what 42 says. He shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, in the land of Egypt shall not escape. But he shall have power over the treasures of the gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. Now, there's additional countries listed here. Libya, Ethiopia. I don't have time to take you to the book of Ezekiel chapter 38, where it talks about Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Ethiopia, Somalia, Sudan, Libya. Psalm 83 talks about Saudi Arabia, Lebanon. Do you understand those nations are going to align themselves? But the first nation is Syria. And the second nation, Egypt. And Egypt has come into position like never before. They had a moderate leader who lived in coexistence. With the Jews. The whole Middle East has changed. How much in President of Iran, the new Middle East will not include the Jewish State of Israel. i talked about the Antichrist, the alignment of the nations. One more thing I want to show you. Go to verse 44. In the last part of the verse, it says, therefore, he shall go forth. He, that's a pronoun, that's Antichrist. Therefore, the Antichrist shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away many. The Antichrist, remember, he has come as what? The Messiah to the Jewish people. He's duped the Jewish people. They're going to believe he's the Messiah. The reason they lay down their weapons is because they think peace has come. The Antichrist establishes the peace. We're okay. We don't need to fight anymore. And that's when these nations attack. And this Antichrist... When all these nations are attacking, he wiped out Syria. He wipes out Egypt. He comes to play the game of, look what I'm doing. I'm protecting you. While at the same time, listen, God out of heaven, Ezekiel 38, verses 18 through 39, 6, sends hellfire and brimstone out of heaven and destroys, look, the Islamic world. Because every nation I mention is in the Islamic world. Then look what happens in verse 45. And he, that's the Antichrist, shall plant the tabernacle of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain. Let's let my hand be the state of Israel. Right in the middle of my, fore, my hand right here, palm of my hand, is going to be Jerusalem. To the north in Israel, you have the Sea of Galilee. To the south, you have the Red Sea. To the east, you have the Dead Sea. To the west, you have the Mediterranean Sea. He says, in the midst of the seas, right in the middle, Jerusalem. On the holy mountain of God. You see that phrase in the text? Holy mountain of God means the temple mount in Jerusalem. So what does he do? He looks at these Jewish people and here's what he says. Verse 45. And he shall plant the tabernacle of his palace on the holy mountain of God. You only put the temple on the holy mountain of God. and Antichrist is going to tell the Jews. Put up your temple. The Jews for 2,000 years. Every single day. Three times a day. Go to pray for the temple to be in Jerusalem. All the preparations are made. The Bible confirms it. In Daniel 9, 27, there will be a temple at the midway point of the tribulation. Jesus confirms that Matthew 24, 15, the Olivet Discourse. When you see the abomination in the temple in Jerusalem. Second Thessalonians 2, 4. The Antichrist walks into the temple and sits down to be God at the midway point of the seven years. Revelation 11.1. Hey, John, measure the spot for the temple. There's no temple now in Jerusalem. Where those first two temples stood is a gold-domed building. But may I tell you this? 28,000 men for the last 10 years have been studying the priestly duties. They're ready to operate the temple. They have every implement. This simple little implement of the Mizraq, a picture-shaped item where they put the sacrificial blood. They're made out of pure gold and pure silver, 4,000 of them. The menorah, the seven-branched candelabra, they didn't have one. They think it's at the Vatican, so they made another one. 100 pounds of pure gold. 4,000 harps have been made. For the first time in 2,000 years, a Jewish couple from Connecticut went back to Jerusalem. He was a Finnish carpenter, made 4,000 harps. The other day I was on the Temple Mount where the temple will stand. I walked off to a yeshiva. Yeshiva is a Jewish seminary type operation for Jewish Bible scholars. The leader of that yeshiva was Rabbi Nachman Kahana. I've known him for many years. He's the one that started all this study for the temple. He's the one that's trained these 28,000 men. I walked into the rabbi. I said, Rabbi, I heard that four years ago, the Sanhedrin were reformed. You know what the Sanhedrin is? Seventy wise Jewish scholars. They're the ones that elect the high priest. They're the ones that administrate the temple. I said, I heard that is true. Is that the case, Rabbi? He said, it's the case. I'm the president of the Sanhedrin. I said, Rabbi, I heard all the priestly garments have been made. He said, my garment is hanging in my closet right now, ready for me to put on. Do you remember what I said? Antichrist, alive, alive and well on the earth, an alignment of nations ready to go against Israel, Egypt more prepared than ever, and a temple about to go up on the Temple Mount. There's only one thing that must happen before the Antichrist appears. The nations align themselves against Israel and the arrangements of the temple are fulfilled. Only one thing. Before that takes place.
0: That one thing is the rapture of the church. But well, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, a look at the book with Rick and I right here on Prophecy Today weekend.
3: I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Russian-backed security forces arrived in Kazakhstan Thursday to quell massive riots. Protesters burned government buildings and even stormed the busiest airport in the Central Asian country. The unrest began after a sharp hike in fuel prices. Early reports say dozens of people have been killed. Eric Mock with the Slavic Gospel Association says SGA supports churches all across Kazakhstan, so pray the love of these believers would point many to Jesus in a time of crisis. And recent violence in the Democratic Republic of Congo got so bad, Mission Aviation Fellowship had to move bases. MAF was stationed in Niangkunde, but recently the government militia came in to control the local village. MAF's John Cad says violence broke out. MAF staff and families crouched in their homes for several days hearing mortars and bullets flying nearby. Now, MAF is operating out of Bunia. Pray for peace in MAF's ongoing gospel ministry in Congo. You're listening to Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Just
4: how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set, every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8Prophecy8. 8 8. That's eight seven seven six seven four three two nine eight. 674 3298 Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today
0: and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets. <music> Welcome back to Prophecy today. This is our last segment of our program and it's the segment where we take a look at the stories. We kind of go back over, Rick, and we we really examine as we say throughout the whole program, we examine the current events as they're happening. I really like the information that was given that's given every weekend. And you know, the things that we're doing, the the broadcast partners that we have, they really do give us an insight and I've gotten so many emails from people that say, "You know, You guys present a look at the news that no other news site or the media in the United States, at least, are presenting. So I really do think that we put out a very good program for people to understand what's taking
1: place and what's happening in our world today. I agree, and typically it starts with our good friend Ken Timmerman, and he's got such a unique perspective, and He's been helping us to follow along with what's been taking place in Iran, what's been going on with these nuclear uh, agreement talks with the United Mm. States and Iran. And this is all basically setting the stage for what's going to take place in the end times.
0: It sure is. You know, I was looking the other day, today, Rick, there are over 150,000 rockets that are aimed towards Israel. Different sites, we've looked at that in the past couple of weeks, the The different sites on the map that they have these rockets aimed to. Of course, we understand from Ezekiel 38 there will be a final conflict, that arrangement of nations with Russia, Leading the way, uh, I believe it's Vladimir Putin who is that personality of Gog in Ezekiel 38. And as he is getting involved, not only in Ukraine, and uh, which really he could use, as Ken said, smaller nuclear warheads in that conflict. But now he's getting involved in Kazakhstan, uh, sending soldiers there. We're just seeing uh, a lot of the these nations that are talked about in Bible prophecy that are
1: coming together. Our next guest was, as usual, Dave Dolan, and he gave us the Middle East News update. And the lead couple of stories that we had on there were talking about the relationship between the Israelis and the Palestinians and the fact that the the Palestinian leadership right now is trying to essentially blackmail America to reopen a consulate because they have a desire to retain a foothold in the city of Jerusalem. And it just reminds me of the fact that the relationship between the Palestinian people and the Jewish people has a past. There's certainly a present relationship, as we talked about today, and there's also a prophetic future relationship that's going to take place between these two entities, is there not?
0: There is, and uh, that goes all the way back to Jacob and Esau, those twin brothers. And of course, Esau is the past descendant of the Palestinians of today. And we've traced that. In fact, there's a great series that you can get that we shot on location in Jordan and the city of Petra about Esau and the Palestinians and tracing that lineage from Esau to all the way through to the Palestinians of today. And of course, that prophecy of this conflict between Jacob and Esau will be settled at the end of the tribulation period. But they are presenting a problem. They have uh, presented a problem over the last year. Uh, they continue to present a problem uh, using the Temple Mount as the center of their struggle. Uh, I, I think uh, you and I were talking earlier, Rick. As you have watched this, you've seen so many things can be happening in the Arab world. So many things can, uh, there could be uh, uh, starvation, there could be wars go, taking place, conflicts taking place, but really, uh, it seems like they have this big issue with the Jewish people and uh, the state of Israel today. So, you know, watching this, we know that it will come to uh, a determination on those descendants of Esau. The little book of Obadiah talks about it, where this group of people are one of the two people that will be as if they never were, according to the
1: book of Obadiah. Uh, Along those same lines, we talked to Winky and Dave a little bit about this same subject, but the animosity for the uh, quote-unquote settlers that are in what we would call Judea and Samaria. Maybe the world calls it the West Bank region, but we would call it Judea and Samaria. Uh, The animosity that's there, even the Israeli, some secular Israeli politicians calling them subhuman. Mm.
0: You know, there is going to be a conflict. Ezekiel 37 talks about it. That's that vision of the two sticks that are that Ezekiel was told to put into his hands, and I do believe that that's what we're seeing the beginning of. We have talked to the men that have been involved in writing a new constitution for a second Jewish state, and I believe the second Jewish state will be a religious Jewish state against the secular, and this is just adding fuel to that fire with this comment uh, from this minister of government that said, that the religious Jews, the settlers, which uh, a large portion of those settlers are religious, are subhuman. So, yes, I thought that was a very important story for today. It was also exciting to have uh, a slightly different couple of guests. Yes, both of these stories. Uh, people today using modern technology to be able to communicate and still carry forth the gospel of course we're going to keep in prayer with the the believers in China and those in America I know that Chris is just one but there are probably many that are using uh the internet to communicate, to teach the gospel, to teach uh, eschatology, to teach systematic theology, things like that. And uh, we will continue to pray for that situation, but then Heath Marion talking about uh, millennials, uh, that next generation, should the Lord tarry, that's gonna carry on the gospel, that will carry the message to the world. And as I mentioned, God could have arranged the stars in the sky to spell out you must be born again, but he chose you and I, Rick, and those that are listening that we are to be about uh, our task of carrying forth the message. And we hope that you cut the gist of that today on our program and that as you hear this information, Rick, it's very important that people
1: understand the times in which we're living and how close we are to the rapture of the church. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes we get into these stories and we look at political world leaders and we look at the specifics of the details of events that are taking place around the world, with our broadcast partners but it's not just to be another cnn or another fox news we are looking at these giving you accurate descriptions of going on so you can understand what's taking place and essentially we are making sure that you realize that uh, these events taking place are setting the stage for bible prophecy to be fulfilled And then we are to take that information and say, if we see these signs and we see what's taking place, how then should it affect how we live our lives? I agree with you wholeheartedly.
0: Well, our time's up for this week, Rick. We hope that people will join with us throughout the week with our daily programs, on our website, with our devotions, and so many other ways. And then, of course, we'll see you again next weekend at this very same time and same spot on your dial. Uh, Rick, thanks a lot, and uh, with everything that is happening in our world, it's easy to see how close that we are to the rapture of the church. How then, as Rick said, should we live? Well, there's nothing else left for us to say except let's keep looking up until.
4: Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.